from there. The article from Rabash, what is eating their fruits in this world and keeping the principle for the next world in the work. It is written in the Zohar, Rabbi Abba said, the evil in the heart which clings to all organs of the body does that to them. There's evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is heavy upon a man. This evil is the force of the evil in the heart that wishes to dominate the worldly matters and does not watch over matters of that world at all. He asks, why is the heart evil? And he replies, the following verse proves it. As it is written, a man to whom God has given wealth and possessions and honor, whose soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, and God has not empowered him to eat from it, for a foreign man shall eat it. This is a perplexing verse, since it is written, whose soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Why will God not empower him to eat from it? After all, his soul lacks nothing. She replies that a person walks in this world and the Creator gives him wealth so he will be rewarded with the next world by it and will remain with with the principle of his money. What is a principle? It is that money that exists forever. This is why he must keep the principle after him and he will receive this principle after he departs from this world. Because this principle is the tree of life of that world, which is Ziranpin. There's nothing of it in this world, but the fruits that come out of it. This is why a man who has been rewarded with these fruits in this world eats them, while the principle remains for him in that world, to be rewarded by it with the upper life above. And one who defiles himself and is drawn after self-benefit and lacks nothing for his soul or his body, God does not empower him to eat from it and to be rewarded with that wealth. We should understand what it means in the work that he eats their fruits in this world and keeps the principle for the next world. Also, what is to whom God has given wealth and possessions and honor in the work? Of which he said, God has empowered us, has not empowered him to eat from it, 
for a foreign man shall eat it. called equivalence of form. However, before we obtain the desire to bestow, one must go through several degrees. One, first one, underst- one must understand that we must obtain this desire. Since when we come to do something, we go and see how people behave. Meaning, if the people around us also think that we should do everything for the sake of the Creator, naturally a person goes to see among those who engage in Torah and mitzvot and sees that no one around him is concerned with finding ways by which to obtain the desire to bestow. The reason he does not see it in others is simple. They are not on the path toward obtaining the intention to bestow. At that time, he sees the truth. However, those who do engage in Torah and mitzvot in order to bestow are probably working in concealment. Since if their work were revealed outside, externality would become involved in their work. Since by nature, where one sees that others are looking at what he does, he thinks that the other appreciates his work. And this gives him strength for the work, not because the Creator mandates his work, but the other person by looking at him, obligates him to work in Torah and Mitzvot. Hence, those who want to work for the sake of the Creator conceal their work from others. This is why it is impossible to see if someone is working in order to bestow. Therefore, one has a lot of work before he comes to feel that he is deficient of the desire to bestow. Although sometimes he begins to understand that he does need the desire to bestow, but he sees that many people are engaging in Torah mitzvot and they are respectable people. And he does not see that they have any deficiency, meaning that they suffer because they haven't the desire to bestow. Thus, the first work is to try to obtain the need to be rewarded with the desire to bestow. Two, once he has obtained the need for the desire to bestow, 
He does not receive the filling as soon as he begins to obtain the deficiency. This is because this is so because the feeling of deficiency depends also on the measure of the suffering he feels from not having the desire to bestow. But when a person begins to feel how much he needs it, and above there is a desire that he will have a real deficiency, then he receives help from above to feel the lack. That is, he is shown how far he is from it. Meaning, he sees how difficult it is, it is to obtain the desire to bestow, which causes him a great deficiency. Why do we need a great deficiency? The reason that when something is unimportant, we do not know how to keep from losing it. Hence, before one has a real lack, he is not given the matter from above. For the lack and the yearning make the thing important. But in the work, when one sees that it is hard to get what he wants, he escapes from the work. He says, I believe that there are people who have been rewarded and to whom the Creator gave the desire to bestow. But this was because they were more gifted than I am. And a person like me, with worse qualities than others, has no chance of meriting this. Hence, he escapes the campaign and begins to work like the general public. Only those who say that they want to escape from the work but have nowhere else to go since nothing satisfies them those people do not walk out from the work. Although they have ups and downs, they do not give up. This is as it is written, and the children of Israel sighed from the work, and they cried, and their cry went up to God from the work. In other words, they cried out from the work because they were not advancing in the work of the Creator, so they could work in order to bestow contentment upon the Maker. At that time they were rewarded with the exodus from Egypt. In the work this is called emerging from the control of the evil inclination, the from the will to receive and entry into the work of bestowal. It therefore follows that the beginning of man's work is to 
take upon himself the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that where he used to care only to satisfy the desire of an old and foolish king, meaning that all his work was only for his own sake, he has taken upon himself a different king called the kingdom of heaven. When he crowns the creator over all his organs, meaning that all his organs will serve the creator. This is called in the work Exodus from Egypt. Exodus from the governance of self-benefit and taping, taking upon him oneself to serve the Creator. As it is written, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be a God unto you. We should interpret that he brought them out from the governance of the will to receive for oneself and gave them the desire to bestow. This is called to be a God unto you, meaning that I gave you the desire to bestow so you can work for my sake. This is called, I gave you the power to feel that I am the Creator. However, how does one acquire this feeling that the will to receive is something bad? Who notifies him that he should correct his actions? He writes in the Sulam, in the latter commentary, Hence the Creator has imprinted bitter and harsh afflictions in self-reception, instilled in man from the moment of his birth, bodily pains and pains of the soul. So that, if, so that if he engages in Torah and mitzvot, even for his own pleasure, through the light in it, he will still feel the lowliness and the terrible corruption, the corruptness in the nature of receiving for oneself. At that time, he will resolve to retire from that nature of reception and completely devote himself to working only in order to bestow contentment upon his Maker. As it is written, all the works of the Lord are for his sake. Then the Creator will open his eyes to see before him a world filled with utter perfection. Then he partakes in his joy as at the time of the creation of the world. It follows that the light of the Torah gives one the lack so he will have the need to ask the Creator to give him the power to take upon himself the burden of the kingdom of heaven. 
and all his actions will be in order to bestow. Afterward, when he has been rewarded with the kingdom of heaven, there's another degree called Torah, which is the names of the Creator. This is regarded as the Torah and the Creator and Israel are one. According to the above, we should interpret what he asks. Why is the heart evil? He replies that it is as it is written, a man to whom God has given wealth and possessions and honor, whose soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, and God has not empowered him to eat from it. For a foreign man shall eat it. He asks, since, since it is written, he lacks nothing for his soul of all that he desires. Why has God not empowered him to eat from them? After all, he lacks nothing for his soul. He replies about this, that a person eating their fruits in this world refers to the kingdom of heaven. When the light in it reforms him. This light is called fruits. Afterward, he comes to a state that the principle exists for him for the next world, meaning that he is rewarded with the actual Torah. And this is called wholeness. By this, the Zohar explains that one who defiles himself and is drawn after self-benefit and lacks nothing for his soul or his body then God does not empower him to eat from it and be rewarded with that wealth. We should interpret that wealth pertains to whether, I'm sorry, pertains to there is none who is poor except in knowledge, meaning that he has been rewarded with learning Torah and knowing all the rules. And he has possessions, meaning that he knows that, thank God, he has great possessions of Torah and mitzvot and good deeds. And he has honor, and everyone respects him because of the glory of the Torah. And yet God does not empower him to eat from it. The reason is that although he has wealth and honor and good deeds, because he is drawn toward self-benefit, meaning for his own sake, as it is written, he lacks nothing for his soul, meaning that all his concerns are that there will be no deficiency in self-benefit. Naturally, he has nothing to eat from Kedusha, 
but it all goes to the Sidrach. This is the meaning of what is written, a foreign man shall eat it. That is, the klipot took everything because all his work was for the will to receive, which is the authority of the klipot. It follows that all the wealth, when he thought he had knowledge of the Torah and possessions, which are the possessions of Torah and mitzvot, are all in the domain of the klipot. By this we will understand what he asks, why is the heart evil? We should interpret that We should interpret what is the evil that exists in the will to receive. He replies about this, the following verse proves it, as it is written, a man to whom God has given wealth and possessions, that is, although the Creator, let him do many things in Kedusha, since it was all for self-benefit, it all went into the into another authority. This is the meaning of the words for a foreign man shall eat it. Meaning the klipot, since he worked for them and not for the Kedusha. However, we must know that when one corrects one's actions, he elicits everything from the klipot and everything returns to the Kedusha as it is written, he has swallowed down... We interpret the source, I'm sorry. And to Zulun he says, Rejoice, Zulun, in your going out and it's Aschar in your tents. We should interpret that the partnership between the Sashar and Zulun in the work are in one body. That is, the work should be arranged in two manners. It is in the manner of the kingdom of heaven, at which time there is the war of the inclination to emerge from the control of self-love and take upon oneself that all his actions will be in order to bestow. At that time, through the wars, he takes spoils, that is, he takes forces of the will to receive and replaces them with the desire to bestow. This is considered that through the war, he subdues it, and the will to receive must do everything according to his will, meaning that all... ...of his Torah. In other words, we should discern two manners in the Torah. One, the light in it reforms him. From this, a discernment of fruits extends to Malchut. Two, the actual Torah, which is called keeping the principle for the next world. This comes specifically after the quality of Malchut 
has the desire to bestow, with which she has been rewarded through the light of Torah regarded as fruits. This is as our sages said, that the hand filling come before the head filling. Since the head filling, says the Zohar, is considered malchut, the weaker hand, since it needs strengthening. Since in the kingdom of heaven, there are all the wars required in order to subdue the will to receive. Afterward comes the head feeling, regarded as the Torah. Continuing asking, what is it to work in humbleness and in concealment in spirituality? It's a kind of work that a person has to conceal to conceal his desires, his intentions, his goals and by that he doesn't let his clipot, his shells hold on to them thirty-one is asking, how can we assure that my work will be for the benefit of the Creator and not the benefit of the will to receive? That's the work itself. A person has to tie himself to the will to bestow he has to be inside within the society mostly uh, in this movement inclined toward it then to some extent he can be certain that he's aiming himself toward the goal. The article, I understand that the bottom line is we have to come to a deficiency for a bestow. I just didn't understand how we do this, so I will read and ask. He writes, first, a person needs to be in such an environment of people who want to attain the desire to bestow. And then he writes that actually he cannot see because people who are working in order to bestow are working in humbleness because through that they will not fall to the klipot. So he can't see it because they're humbling their work. And in the end, he writes that the first work is that he shall try to attain a need to merit the desire to bestow. So my question is, what is this work called, called uh, the attempt to, or the exertion at trying to attain such a desire? The first work is 
when he connects to his friends and he wants to reach a desire to bestow together with them in their vessels. What does it mean to attain the desire to bestow in their vessels? It means that I, who connect to the friends, go together with them, each will help his friend, by that we have a desire to bestow, and in this desire to bestow, we can receive, each one of us can receive to the extent we want to give. This, this is the meaning of being and receiving in order to bestow. Altogether, that's the work we're trying to do here inside the tent, to cleave to one another and, and with the counsels that we receive. And, I simply, I want to, Simon is too much, but he says to see the desire to bestow of the friends, and this is actually supposed to be their, our fuel, so that we ourselves will have such a need. So I'm not managing to understand all the way how I can truly acquire a, a need to bestow if I can't identify it in my friends. You are right. We have to continue and see how it's happening. Okay, can I ask another question? Later in the article he writes about a person being shown how distant he is from this thing called a need to bestow and that he sees how difficult it is to attain the desire to bestow which causes him a great deficiency. Also, from the work, I identify sometimes on myself and sometimes on the friends that sometimes this despair, actually, that, that we're not managing to come to the desire to bestow, despairs in such a way, not that it builds a deficiency, but rather that the Creator seeks the filling somewhere else. Meaning instead of this despair that he couldn't reach to bestow, like Rabash writes, it kind of builds, he runs away from the work. And he doesn't deal with it. It's hard for him. And so this is what I'm asking. How from this difficulty is a need built and not an escape? He has nowhere to go. What do you mean escape? Escape where? He'll run away to thoughts of the will to receive. Oh, that's not a solution. That's not a solution. Well, he's going to go and be like everyone else. Yes. Maybe he'll be able to cover himself with a cloud or something and to continue this way as long as he's alive in his body. 
זה גם, הרבש כותב כאילו שהעצה היא בעצם לא לזוז מהעבודה. אם מדברים על לא לזוז מהעבודה. No, try again. I'm trying to ask about the internal work of a person. What does it mean that we're not moving from the work in one's internal work? Each time, all the time, he's in the direction of connection with the Creator. How do we not move from such work? That is the prayer. There's nothing to add. Nothing to add. Rav, at the end of the article he's talking about Zvulun and Isaschar, like two parts in a person. Yes, one goes to war and battles the war, and the other studies Torah. He says that one must share the other. One must, each must give from his part to the other, otherwise neither will succeed. Can you explain what this is and what this means? It's clear that this is how we need to be divided and also connected in this way between us and in each one of us. What is that inside of a person, a part that battles and a part that draws the light? A part that is at war discovers that he has the powers to resist And the part that has the light, the illumination, he's got the strength, the power. There's great power in quality and in quantity. You have these kind of divisions. If it's an externality, you can say this clearly. I don't understand this an externality. But inside a person, are these different times where a person's in the work? Or... Yeah, typically it's in different times. So what is this time of the war and what is this time of the drawing of light in this whole process that he described here? Sometimes a person feels himself in a certain state where he has a special attitude, a war with himself. How do I express it? Yeah. I don't know how to say it. 
When he talks about a foreign person, uh, almost necessarily a foreign person takes what we're working, that's the klipot, and then he says, as he continues, that we need to know that it will later come from the klipot and move to Kedusha. How do I remember while it's going to the klipot? He says that it necessarily has to go to the klipot. And then I have to take them out and they have to go to Kedusha. How do I need to know that I have to go to Kedusha? So when I see it's in Klippot, then I know that it'll go to Kedusha, and I won't give up and run away from the campaign. We need to believe and understand and agree with the fact that our entire work passes through the Klippot, by drowning in the clipot, we can later correct them, and they will also connect to sanctity. That has to do with the war between Zvulun and Isaschar, that are waging this war against the clipot. Yes, two approaches. No. It says in the article, what Gershon was trying to ask, the first work is to, well, he has to attain the need to bestow. He has to attain the need to bestow, the desire to bestow. And he said that the first work is to connect with his friends, and he wants to reach the desire to bestow together with them in their vessels. So taking it practically. I have a ten. Each one here is very special. What does it mean that I attain a, a need to bestow through their vessels? When you look at your friends and you wish to bestow to them from your corrected vessel, how do I do it without tarnishing their deficiency? Because I don't understand, don't feel their vessels correctly. What you understand, what you feel. How do I check myself? Prayer. Prayer. Can we talk about it in the 10, about the vessels of the friends. Scrutinize it. Try, try a little. The feeling of the vessel is according to the need of a person. Right? For example, noontime I find myself not thinking of the group. For a few minutes that you have, you go into the noon lesson, you see the friends before you, and you're impressed how great they are. 
It's true salvation. It gives you power for the rest of the day. That's the question. Is the filling of the vessel only the need that is born in a person for the group, for this scrutiny that they will be inside of you? Yes, we don't need anything else. Okay. Wonderful. So we... What is the war of the inclination? That the evil inclination battles the good inclination in a person. How do you win this war? By us being drawn to the upper root. And because it is completely connected to the good inclination, then the evil inclination loses its connection with the upper root. Yes. Where do you get such faith about the future? That you're doing work now and in the future you'll receive something. Um, we must enter in the work and try to be in it. And, and to continue this way. Even though I don't see in this any, well, sometimes I am kind of in a state, in an inner state, that I cannot justify any actions, any states, and nevertheless I go relying on the group, on my faith, on the fact that I was in it before, etc., etc. A person is made in such a way that he is nevertheless between the worlds. He must connect himself with the upper world to not forget the lower world. He must squeeze the lower world until he raises it to the upper world. Questions? The feeling of the exodus of Egypt, is that a personal feeling or a group feeling? The exit from Egypt? I don't know. I see it as a, an individual exit. How does a person discern it inside of him, if it's inside of him? How does a person discern the state of the exodus from Egypt, if it's a personal state? 
connects to the group. He's with the friends. They talk, connect, and see the extent in which they're going through states that remind them the story of the exodus from Egypt. And thus they move forward. He writes here only those people who want to escape from the work but they have nowhere to go. Since nothing satisfies them. Nothing satisfies them. Those people do not walk out from the work. Although they have ups and downs, they do not give up. This is as it's written, and the children of Israel sighed from the work, and they cried, and their cry went up to God from the work. Yes. That's why I asked in the beginning, is there um, such a thing as a personal feeling in the Exodus from Egypt? If we don't have enough power to for people can do it together. That's why I asked if there's a personal feeling or a group feeling. Personal for sure. In group, it depends on how much. What group? I don't know. There is the ability to unite and come out together. Yes, yes. The first work is to obtain the need for the world to bestow. How to obtain a need for a desire that doesn't exist in this world, that you don't lack? Well, at least to the extent in which we're capable to fantasize, to depict it to ourselves. Let's start with that. How to depict a desire that belongs to the Creator only, a desire to bestow, I don't want it. That you're giving to someone, that someone's giving to you, even though it is within the matter and it's within the desire to receive but nevertheless try to think that way and you'll see that there is in this a certain force that will help you want to be in bestow in such bestowal that it's as if I was in bestowal. It's not true bestowal. But you will want to be in this. Yeah, the whole world is simply receive in order to receive, bestow in order to receive. It's our whole life. Yes. How to jump to, to desire to want only to bestow. Imagine it to yourself. 
from all these leaps, we eventually get there. You said that when we try to bestow an act in the vessels of the friends, how from this is a result of this work do we come to the tree of life, as it's written in the article? This foundation, this basis that remains, how by feeling the friend and incorporation with them we get to the tree of life? because you're connecting them together. And eventually their roots give you a true tree of life from which you are nourished and receive life to the fruit and advance this way. What does it mean? The roots, the roots of the vessels uh, of the friends that give their tree of life. You try to come closer to the friends. You connect to their roots so that we will all be able to bestow to one another. And from that, you receive into the tree of life. How to connect to the roots of the friends? You need to try to connect to their roots. You have no such opportunity. You have to try to connect. So, how do we interpret it correctly? What is the reward in the next world that the wisdom of Kabbalah promises, which is unlike that of religion? That depends on each and every person, how he depicts this reward for himself. We learn that reward in the next world, whoever corrected themselves, return to their root and are ready to do all actions in order to bestow to the Creator. That is the next world. Thank you, teacher. I'm, I got confused in the middle of the article. He says that you can be poor in knowledge, yet he says that he does not like anything in his soul and part of the Torah reforms him and he receives the fruits. So I don't understand yearning for wholeness if you know that afterwards everything will come to the shells or to be poor and yearn for Lishma, for her sake, so nothing comes to the shells. Because you can't be hungry and have everything. We need to yearn not to want anything but except for our necessities. That the desire won't be there for fulfilling, but the higher degree, that should be filling you.
Um, what is the spiritual significance of the union between Zivulon and Issachar in the work of the person in the tent? How do we practically live this in the tent? Thank you. We need to see ourselves. Let's say uh, it doesn't matter what's written there. We have to see ourselves that each and every one who has some kind of tendency towards spirituality directs himself towards spirituality in order to bestow to everyone, in order to help everyone, in order to connect to everyone. No matter what state he's in, no matter what direction they're coming from. That's it. That's what we need to not forget. I'd like to delve into the matter of constantly wanting to run away from the work that the Creator gives us. From what work am I trying to run away? And what does it mean that I have nothing to lose and I'm willing and ready for this work? It's work in the connection with the others. All those who are outside the upper world, I'm willing to connect to them and supply everything they're lacking in order What is the main power of the shells? that they are able to drag us to in order to receive. To begin with, we start with a connection to the klipot. And we have, in order to tear away the connection from them, that's hard work. And the more a person advances in the work, the stronger they become? Yes in order to give him the freedom of choice. We're studying in the study of the Ten Sfirot, Part 7, Item 36. In 35, it says, when the vessels of Nehi of Keta clothed in Abavim as clothes of Mochin were cancelled too, but they are not regarded as Keta because they have already clothed in Abavim. Why are they not regarded? It's still Keta. The Nehi of Keta that clothed in Abavim are not considered Keto now. Because they already belong to the degree of Abba Veima. What does it mean they belong? It's both Keto and Abba Veima. 
they're clothed in one another. Yeah, but the coupling gave them a new area in Abba Ve'ima. Is this a law in spirituality that when the upper one clothes in the lower one, what clothes or doesn't belong to it anymore? I don't know if it's a law. Where can you find such things? But actually, yeah. so does it lose its nehi? Oh, it lets the lower one take care of the Nahi. It gives it 100%. I don't know. You're constantly wanting me to tell you a bit more. I'm trying to understand how Patsuf remains without a part of itself. Because through that it can ascend. It raises itself above its vessels of reception. We are studying from the writings of Bala Sulam, the foreword to the book of Zohar, continuing from number 11. Forward to the book of Zohar, number 11. Yes, please. Here we should learn these four manners of reception presented above in the first boundary. These are, one, matter. Two, form clothed in matter. Three, abstract form. Four, essence. What essence exists in reality? I don't know. Maybe there are uh, a lot more. I don't know. Our perception of reality is constantly developing. So if I think of the essence, there's the will to receive. There's the light. That's two types of essence. And I'm asking as the observer of those two essences, where do I ascribe myself? Am I a third essence? Is man another essence? No. Man himself is a collection of essences. What's the uniqueness of man? Because supposedly he was given an opportunity to look from the side. By, by being able to attain himself. What's himself? What is that essence? The fact that he exists opposite the Creator gives him a relation to the Creator. And by this, we can attain ourselves. So our relation to the Creator is the created being. That's what we constantly have to develop. 
Yes. What is an abstract form in our work, and why does he warn us so much about it? Because you have no hold of it. You have no hold of it. You take a book, and it's written there what it, what it is that a person is strong or a liar or something. Never mind what. And then you go to someone and you want to clothe it on him, right? So what do you get? Basically, you're taking an abstract form and clothe it on a living person. So what is matter and what's a form that is clothed in matter? Well, we learned it already. Matter is the matter itself, on which about which there can be no doubt at all, because it comes to our uh, five senses. And the form clothed in matter is the internality. But in the work, can we say it's a desire and the intention of the desire? Or what is it in our relation to reality? We're not speaking about materials, right? Are you asking, uh, what degree are you asking about? I'm asking on our work. Our work should be in all those four degrees between them. So in order to know what to be cautious of, I want to start from the beginning. What does matter in our work and what is form dressed in matter? Matter is actually matter. Wood, um, rocks, iron, doesn't matter. Matter. The, f- the form. The form, which is unrelated whatsoever to the matter. You can depict it, you can create it on the computer or in your imagination, and then shift that form, transmit it into, how should I put it, into matter. So we have an experience in life, in our senses, in matter, and in a form clothed in matter. And he says, be cautious, don't take the form, undress it from the matter, and make conclusions about it. No. So, so what should we be cautious of here? Where is the border that we have to be cautious of? It's not a boundary uh, between the matter and form clothed in matter. But when we learn the form clothed in matter, we should not um, escape or run away uh, from reality, veer off from reality. How should I put it? I'm tired already. The form that is clothed in matter is what we See, you can say this is a person 
Although he is made of clay or from rock, it's a form, it's a shape, an abstract form. So then you're not talking about something that exists, but something that exists in your imagination. So he's warning us from our imagination. He says, don't use your imagination. He wants to define the boundaries for us. How far can we go with our senses, with our imaginations, and where we can no longer continue? That's it. When we say that we need to turn to the Creator and ask, what is a right depiction to the Creator on those four definitions? When we turn to the Creator, what do we turn to? What form, essence, matter, clothing? It is the upper force that um, arranges for us all the matter all our matter and our perception in the matter of all the reality that comes into our senses. It sounds like it's something undressed from uh, matter. If it's the upper force, so it's outside of the desire. The upper force, the creator, of course it's abstract. So when we turn to the creator, we pray. We're turning to the essence. We Turn to the upper force, which has the power to organize, to arrange for us our whole perception. Where is it perceived when we turn to him? In our degree that is disconnected from him, where is it perceived? In our imagination. So this imagination, it's a form that it is, it's an essence, is it abstract? This imagination is in us. I understand it's in us, we can depict it. In our imagination. Yeah, but it sounds to me like it's danger to be like in the fourth state or the third state, which is abstract. No, neither. If we are talking about the Creator, we have nothing with which to grasp Him. Exactly. So when we say prayer, that eventually our work is in prayer. Yeah. So who are we turning to? We're turning to some upper force. Some upper force. Some, yes, which is not in our perception. So it's abstract from us. Yes. So why isn't that going over the third or fourth uh, discernment? What does it mean? He said that the fourth one is not the touch of the essence, the third one is not the touch of the form without matter. Yes. When we're, when we're turning on something abstract from us, so we're supposedly going over these uh, conditions. But the Creator is outside these limitations. So why is it not called that we're going over the fourth and third uh, limit here? I don't understand you. What are the third and fourth limits? 
the essence and the abstract form. Right. So I can't perceive the essence or the abstract form. I can perceive from the created being only the form that is closed. So, so that's called creator, right? That I attain him. Come and see Bola that he's clothed in me. In the quality of his soul in me. So, so before he's clothed in me, when we say prayer, what form of an upper force are we turning to? You are turning to the Creator, who, according to your perception, your imagination, or I don't know what they're describing there, you have a connection with Him. You have a connection with Him. So how to turn to the Creator correctly? How can you depict him? We need to depict him that as if he's re- being revealed in the relationships between us in the form of bestowal that we feel in one desire, one heart with the friends in the ten that's called creator. Again. Yes. So what form am I turning to correctly when I turn to the Creator? You are turning to a form that is above you. It contains everything. It's infinite. And it's imperceptible. It cannot be defined in any way. It is simply the good who does good, who manages everything. Why does, is that not caught going over the abstract form or the essence? You don't put it into any limitation, any boundaries. Exactly. That's why he's abstract from me, and I might make a mistake according to what I understood from what he's saying, that we don't go on the fourth or third limitation. And here you you depicted a creator that he's abstract, endless, above matter, above everything. So I have no attainment in that. Fine. How can I turn to something abstract for me? That's a different question. How I can turn to something that is not perceived in my senses, right? Yes. I turn to someone who is influencing my senses even though I don't feel it. Yes. Why? I'll tell you. It's because... I have faith in the sages. Faith in the sages. That they already attained it. They attained or didn't attain. I have no way to 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 determine here conclusively. But the fact that I trust them allows me to turn to them, to those sages, enables me to turn to them. Thank you. It's very, very elusive. 